You guys sound good this morning. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 2. One thing I did forget to mention, and I, I want to make sure that I say this because uh, I'm a part of it. And so uh, next Sunday, uh, the youth, uh, middle school and high school kids, uh, will be doing a bake sale. Okay, so if you are uh, in need of some brownies or cookies, um, which we all need those things, right? Right? Especially around the holidays, it's okay. And so uh, they're going to be doing that to uh, earn money um, for youth trips, uh, especially they got Winterfest coming up here in just a couple weeks, and then we've got a, a trip coming up in February uh, down in North Carolina. And so if you would like to uh, participate in that by helping the kids out, even if you don't want a baked good, just throw some money at them, right? That'd be good, right? So uh, thank you guys. I did want to mention that, and that's going to be next Sunday, the 21st. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start off there in verse 1. All right. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now I want to stop there for just a second because these opening verses in chapter 2 are I believe very important, and uh, I want to just kind of uh, explain what's going on here. See, there are a lot of skeptics uh, out there today who believe that uh, the Bible just isn't true. Uh, they doubt the validity of it. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who believe that the Bible it just reads more like a myth. It's, it's more like fiction. But I, I want to point out that Luke, who is the writer of this gospel, is very careful in giving us specific details surrounding the birth of Jesus. And what he's wanting you to know is, is that the Word of God is rooted in historical, verifiable facts. That's why he mentions here names like Caesar Augustus. So says you can go back in history and look up and see that Caesar Augustus really did exist. And that's why he mentions about this census that was taken so that you can go back and look and see, yes, there was actually a census that was taken. 
And what I want you to know is that since this didn't happen just by accident, but it was actually ordained by God. See, about 700 years prior to Luke writing this, uh, this gospel, there was a prophet named Micah, he's in the Old Testament, who actually prophesied that the Messiah would be born in a little old, unimpressive town named Bethlehem. And at the time, Luke wrote, Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, were living in Galilee. And since Joseph was from Bethlehem, and because of the census, they had to pack their bags and leave and travel from Galilee to Bethlehem. And because of all of the travelers that were traveling to Bethlehem, for the census, there wasn't enough room in the inn for them, and therefore they had to settle for a hole in the wall with animals. And so that's kind of the very first few verses there, and I just wanted to point that out. Let's continue reading here. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Let's let's pray. Father, again, I just thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you already. We've had the opportunity to worship you through song. And I just pray now as we dive into your word, God, that you would Fill this place with your spirit, that you would just move, that you would, uh, as we begin to study it, as we begin to, to, to hear your words, God, that we would just uh, uh, allow the words to, to penetrate our hearts and that we would be convicted. God, that we would exalt your son Jesus and that we would see our need for him. And that is my prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys are familiar with the show uh, that Mike Rowe hosts called Dirty Jobs? Anybody here? How many of you guys are familiar with that? Well, if you're not, you can, uh, you can actually Google that. And uh, he does this show, and it's called Dirty Jobs. And, and this guy, man, he is, he is amazing because he will go out and he will find the dirtiest job that you can imagine, and he actually goes and he participates in that job. Now, he's been in some pretty dirty situations. He's been in some pretty sticky situations. And so it got me wondering this morning about the top four uh, dirty jobs in America. So I thought we would have a little fun this morning with this, and, and so we're going to do like a little countdown here, okay? You guys want to do that with me? Are you guys interested in seeing what the top four dirty jobs? Maybe you have one of them. I don't know. All right, we'll find out. Uh, Courtney, it, it ain't working. Uh, Megan, you, you go back there and help her out with that? All right. I haven't updated my, 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 my PowerPoint. I still, I'm still in the Stone Age, and uh, so there's a little trouble with that. But anyways, I'll go ahead and count them down for you. And uh, we won't be able to have the suspense of the screen involved. You guys okay with that? Okay. I'm sorry. All right. So, so number four. All right. The fourth dirtiest job. Are you ready for this? Are sewage cleaners. Right? I, I would have felt that would have been number one, hands down. But it's not. Uh, you know, last night we were driving uh, by the uh, waste treatment plant. You guys drive by that? 
And it just, you smell, man, that smell comes out, right? And it's just, it, it knocks you down. Uh, but these guys, they deal with toxic gases, unsanitary and cramped spaces, and it makes for an unhealthy, uh, gross work environment. Now, now that, that, that's a job that you don't want to come home smelling like work, right? You don't want to come home smelling like work with that job, all right? So the third, third dirtiest job, uh, and I actually grew up uh, living near a dairy farm, but is a dairy farmhand. Dairy farmhand. Are the grubs here this morning? They're not. They, you guys kept them out too late last night, man. You guys party too hard, all right? So, so a dairy farmhand. Now, farmhands work on farms and barns, which usually have no heating or air conditioning, and their main jobs are milking cows, and that may sound like fun, okay? But when you're sitting there, I don't want to get too graphic here because we're in church, and I don't want to, you know, uh, offend anybody, but when you're milking a cow, have you ever, anybody here milked a cow before? Right? What happens when you milk a cow, right? I mean, a cow just doesn't stand there, right? But things come out from the cow, right? Right? I mean, just to put it like that. And so it's not, it's not a pretty sight. It's not, a, it's not even a good smelling thing, right? So, so dairy farmhand um, is, is, is unpleasant, okay? The second dirtiest job, now, I think a lot of people in here probably have had experience with this, uh, is a gastroenterologist, right? If you've ever had a colonoscopy, right, you've, yeah, was that too much? Does that, did I just, okay, okay, make sure I wasn't going too, too far there. Um, you may be familiar with this line of work. Now, here's the thing, man, right, I never thought about this before until I actually studied this this week. I didn't study this, I read it. Uh, it wasn't like I was in there studying about, you know, this, this job. But they have to deal with digestive systems and associated problems, right? These guys often encounter obnoxious odors, right, and human waste while examining their patients. So who's ready for lunch? <laughs> All right, and the number one dirtiest job is a garbage collector. Now, they have made a lot of improvements, right? Like our trash truck comes around, they've got this big arm that comes out, right? But there's a lot of people that still have to do that by hand and remove waste and recyclable products from homes and businesses, and uh, they often have to do that by, uh, by hand. And so that, that's pretty dirty. Uh, so that, those are the top four uh, dirtiest jobs. I'm sorry I didn't have them on the screen for you guys, but hopefully next serv- come back next service and you'll see them. Right? All right. Can you think of a few dirty jobs that you've had in your life? Right? Just sitting here thinking about a few dirty jobs. I can think of a few dirty jobs that I've had in my life. Okay? When I was an electrician, uh, we worked at this place in Roanoke, Virginia, and you may have heard of it. It's called Yokohama Tire. Okay? And they make tires. And this place uh, was absolutely just filthy. I mean, you can imagine all the rubber that they, they burned and they made and just the dust from all that. Oh, there you go. There's the top four right there. All the dust that came from all that, I mean, just, it was absolutely filthy. And I remember my first day on the job there, I walk in, and, um, I mean, you just walk through the building. Just walk through the building, and you come out on the other side, and you're filthy. Like, this, this dust collects on you. And so as an electrician, man, we oftentimes had to run conduit, uh, which is like pipe for, for electrical wires to go through, up in the rafters and up in the dirtiest places, and and it was just absolutely filthy. I mean, I can remember coming down from the rafters sometimes and just being covered in that tire filth. It was just absolutely nasty. And the, and the smell wasn't that great either. Uh, another one of those dirty jobs that I had, actually I didn't mind this one so much, is when I was in high school, uh, we used to throw uh, a lot of hay, you know, the square round, uh, not round bales, the square bales of hay. Anybody here ever throw hay growing up? Yeah, a lot of you did, yeah. And, and I actually enjoyed that. But here's the deal, right? You would start early in the morning, and you would sometimes work to, to late in the evening. And it, we're talking about summertime and super hot humidity. 
And uh, in these barns, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of air circulation going on. And so you'd be in there, and you'd be stacking these, uh, these, these bales of hay, and it was just nasty and gross, sweaty, uh, just dust. It, it, so it got a little crazy. Uh, but the worst of all, the worst of all was when I was in high school, junior, senior year of high school, I worked at our local fairgrounds. And our local fairgrounds, during the summertime, they always had uh, animal shows. They always had uh, these animal shows that would come in. And so uh, they had these shows, and they had stalls. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of animal stalls at these, these, these animal shows. And, and, and guess who had to clean those animal stalls out every time? Yeah. Yeah, so you can imagine, and again, in, in the summertime, in, in hot humidity, in these enclosed stalls, uh, having to clean them things down to the ground, uh, that was not, not a pleasant pleasant smell or sight, right? So I did some research this week, and I found out that they listed the top four dirtiest jobs in Jesus' day. I found this. I found this. And guess which occupation was number one? You guys are saying it, right? Shepherds, is that what you're saying? Shepherds, exactly. Shepherds. Shepherds ranked number one on the dirtiest job list in Jerusalem, right? Now, I made all that, I made all that up, but they, it was a dirty job. I really didn't research that. It was, it was a dirty job. But think about this, right? Shepherds lived outside in isolated areas for months at a time. You ever notice that whenever you go outside, especially in the wintertime, even just for a few minutes and you come back in and your clothes smell, it's like outside has a smell to it. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you know, and that's, the shepherds were outside all the time, all the time. It's like, it was like one big camp out for them, but it wasn't a fun camp out with s'mores and hot chocolate, okay? It would have been brutal for these guys. I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but the sheep, man, they're not the best-smelling animal out there, okay? I mean, they, they're smelly, smelly animals. And shepherds lived among the sheep. Not only did they have dirty jobs, but they were looked down upon in society. See, during Jesus' day, they, they, were, uh, they, were, they were looked down upon. They were, they were called nomads. They, they kind of wandered the land. They didn't have a home. They just wandered around with their sheep. These guys, they were not the cream of the crop. They were not clean-cut or clean-shaven. They were not sharp-dressed professionals. They were considered unclean by the religious community. Shepherds were despised and unwanted. They lived far from the busy lives of most people in their day, and they were considered unimportant personally, politically, and economically. Shepherds would have been synonymous with dirty and smelly. You think shepherd, you would have thought dirty and smelly. They were considered to be a bunch of nobodies, and yet they are the first ones to see Jesus. Now, this is unthinkable. Because if you're a religious leader or a religious scholar in Jesus' day who had studied the Old Testament Scripture, you would have never in a million years imagined that the birth announcement of the Messiah would come First, to shepherds. Shepherds? Really? And I love this because it doesn't say that when they heard the announcement, the shepherds went home, took a shower, shaved, ironed their robes, and then they went to see Jesus. That's not what it says. It says, no, they immediately, in haste, went to see Jesus. These lowly, poor, scraggly, unimportant nobodies get to see Jesus first. And they get to be the, the, the first ambassadors to share the good news of the birth of Jesus. Shepherds, a group of people considered to be 
nobodies. And the question that, that I've got to ask this morning is why? Why the shepherds? Why these humble circumstances? I believe the answer is in verse 10. Go ahead and pull up it on the screen there. It says, And then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, say it with me, all the people. All the people. You see, the good news is for all the people. And so God is making a monumental statement in choosing the shepherds and saying that Jesus is for all people. And see, it would have been so easy for the religious community to have thought, well, well, that present, that present's for me. That, that present under the tree there, that, that's my present. See, Jesus is coming for me. It, it would have been easy for the Jewish community to say, well, he's our Messiah. He came just for us. But Jesus comes and the shepherds are the ones who first see him because Jesus wants to make it clear that he is for all, all people. It's not just for the well-educated or the well-behaved. It's not just for those who have strong families or healthy marriages. It's not just for people with employment or those who have good credit scores. It's not just for rule followers or those who have done certain things. It's not just for the wealthy, but the gospel is for all people. And the religious community, and to the religious community, these events would have seemed inappropriate and out of place. It would have seemed offensive to, for Jesus to have come in the way that he did. I mean, you have God, creator of the universe. Surely he would have, he would have lined up a parade with Jesus in the center and banners hanging high and saying, this is Jesus, this is Messiah, this is the King. But instead, the creator of all things, the one who spoke all things into being, is swaddled and laid in a stinky, filthy manger. You see, if the religious leaders had been invited to the birth of Jesus, which they weren't, they would have been distracted by all of the uncleanliness. They, they wouldn't have even wanted to approach the site. That's not the way he should have done it. That's not the way that he should have come. He's a king. And the shepherds, they, they should have never felt welcomed. But they were because Jesus is for all people. And I want Chester Christian Church to be a place that no matter who you are, that no matter what you've done, no matter how you look, no matter where you're from, that you know. I want every person to know, man, as they walk through those doors, that the gospel is for all people, that Jesus is for all people, that he is for you. I have a good friend that I went to Bible college with, and uh, he is now a, a lead pastor at a church in, uh, in California. And uh, actually, Marshall, Richard, you guys know him. His name is Michael. And uh, we went to, uh, I'll never forget the first time he, he walked into our church, my home church growing up. And it's been about 14, 15 years ago. And uh, he walked in, and he was just, he stuck out like a sore thumb. He stuck out like a sore thumb. He walks in, hair down, uh, halfway down his back. Uh, he had a, uh, a, a tattoo on his, his arm of, a, of an anarchy symbol, okay? I mean, this guy had just walked off the streets uh, we knew, people knew that he had some run-ins with the law, that he had done drugs in the past and didn't know if he still did drugs. But this guy shows up at our church. Shows up at our church. 
And I'll never forget, man, our people at our church, man, welcomed him because they believed this message that Jesus is for all people. And they embraced him and they welcomed him. And he gave his life to Jesus and went to Bible college and now he's doing awesome things for God out in California. And people are coming to know Jesus. See, Jesus was making it clear from the beginning that you may be a king in a foreign land that is bringing him gold, or you may be a shepherd on the hillside that has absolutely nothing to offer. But you are welcomed. You are welcomed. The gospel is good news for all people. And since the gospel is good news for all people, I think there are a couple things that Jesus would want all people this morning to know. First, I think Jesus wants us to know that no matter what you are going through, he says, I know what it's like. Can you guys read that? Can you guys see that? Okay. All right. He wants to know, he wants you to know that I know what it's like. You see, Jesus just isn't showing us how much he loves us by coming, but he's showing us how much he loves us in the way that he came. See, the humble and lowly circumstances of Jesus' birth show us that he knows what it's like to live how we live. Jesus experienced hardships just like we experienced hardships. Jesus could have left the glories of heaven and came to earth to be born in a palace, and that would have been an awesome sacrifice, right? I mean, if Jesus had left heaven and came to be born in a palace with kings, that would have been, that would have been okay. That would have been a great sacrifice. But he didn't. Rather, he went from heaven to a stable. He was born to a poor carpenter man and to a young, at best, 14, maybe 15-year-old girl. I mean, they were poor. They had no money. He went as low as he could go. And so from the beginning, Jesus didn't exempt himself from troubles of this world. And because of this, the writer of Hebrew tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Isn't that comforting? I mean, I would love to tell you guys that, that when you give your life to Jesus, that when you surrender to him, that your life is going to be smooth sailing. I would love to be able to say that. But that's not the case. That's not the case. You see, I love what Paul Tripp, Paul Tripp says. He says, we live in the, uh, the already but not yet stage. Like, like when you give your life to Jesus, you've been redeemed, right? You're trusting in what Jesus did for you, and you've been saved, and eternity starts now. But we still live in, in the reality of a fallen and broken world. And we still live in these fallen and broken bodies. And so we have to live with that tension of knowing that, that we, yes, we've been redeemed, we've been saved, but we still are going to experience troubles. And Jesus is saying, I know. I know I've got it. I've been through it. I, I, I'm in control. There's a great story of Jesus and his disciples. And they're on this boat. And it just gets crazy out there. I mean, like the waves are crashing into the boat and the disciples are freaking out and they're going crazy. And it says that Jesus was in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And the disciples come down there like, Jesus, man, are you going to let us die? I mean, we're, we're going to die. And I love it because Jesus gets up and he's like, guys, guys, guys. He says, wind stop. 
and the wind stops. And what you need to know is no matter what you're going through in life, I mean, God's in control. He is sovereign. He, he's, he's got it. And I think, you know, what, what happens is, is this is a time of year um, where our, our emotions are heightened because of Christmas and because of the season. You realize that more, more people struggle with depression this time of year than any other time of year? I didn't look this, this part up. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this, but, and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But, but I, I'm pretty sure that, that, that more suicides happen around this time of year than any other time. Is that correct? You guys shaking your head yes? You agree with me? Yeah, I, I, I would say that's the case. And see, what the problem is, so many of us want to shoulder the burden alone. We want to walk through our troubles alone. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I want to shoulder it with you. I want to shoulder it for you. See, maybe things are tight financially for you at home. Maybe you're struggling to make things meet. And Jesus would say, yeah, I know what that's like. I grew up poor. Maybe you feel like you've been wronged by a family member or cheated at work or abandoned by a close friend. And Jesus would would look at you this morning and say, yeah, I remember what it was like to have my closest friends turn their backs on me and betray me. And Jesus is saying, man, no matter what you're going through, I know what it's like. And I want to encourage you this morning, man, to just rest in his grace and his mercy. He extends that grace and mercy out towards you. He identifies with your struggles. Amen? Since the gospel is good news for all people, Jesus wants all of you to know that he loves you. He loves you. God loves you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. As we look at the surprising circumstances surrounding his birth, we see the depth of his love for us. Again, he could have gone from heaven to a palace, and that would have been a great sacrifice. But he didn't. He goes even further. And Jesus made it very clear how much he loves us by leaving the glories of heaven and being born in a stable and then dying on a cross. Philippians 2, Paul writes and says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, made himself nothing, came to earth like us. In Luke 2.14, the passage that we read this morning, it's a, it's a very, it's a key verse for this passage, and, and I want to I read this. It says, Luke 2.14, it says, The angels say, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, the, the key word in that verse is the word peace. You see, an ancient Hebrew concept of peace is rooted in the word shalom. How many of you guys are familiar with that word shalom? Shalom, which means wholeness and completeness. The first example of peace in the Bible is the condition that existed in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were at peace with God and all that he had created. Their needs were supplied. They didn't suffer hunger. They didn't have disease or pain of any kind. They were able to enjoy not only God himself, but the beauty of God's creation. They had an intimacy with God. 
They had a relationship with him. They had peace. But because of sin and rebellion and disobedience towards God, that peace or that shalom with God was shattered. It was lost. Can we just be honest this morning? Listen, I've got issues. You've got issues. We all in this room are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rebelled against God. And as a result, we've all turned our hearts away from God. Instead of being an object of of, of love, we have become objects of God's wrath. And listen to me this morning, okay? This is important. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Because even on your best day, even when you are proud of yourself, even when you pat yourself on the back because you think that you are knocking it out of the park, you still fall way, way, way short. Way, way, way short of God's holiness. See, this is so important because I'm not sure that we understand the colossal gap that is between God and us. Like, I, I don't know if you understand that we're, we're not even in the same universe. You know, people say we're not on the same page. We're not even in the same universe as God when it comes to doing what is right. Like, our natural tendency is to lean towards sin, towards rebellion. Our hearts are naturally turned away from God because of sin. We need to understand that. We need to hear that. There's nothing we can do to fix it. No matter what you do, it doesn't matter how successful you become, it doesn't matter how much money you make or how popular you are, there is nothing that we can do to turn God's wrath away from us. The peace that we once had is gone, it's lost. But the message of Christmas for all people is that God loves you. That God's love was shown in this, that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for you, showing us that there's no distance that he wouldn't travel and no pain that he would not endure to show his love for us. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah, the prophet, writes this. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah goes on to explain further how Jesus will bring peace in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And it says, Surely He, Jesus, took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus. By his wounds, you are healed. The gospel is good news for all people. Jesus turned God's wrath away from us. Jesus broke down the walls of hostility. Through Jesus' death on the cross, shalom, peace, has been restored. The gospel is good news. It's 
It's good news. It's not good advice. It's not good advice. It's not like a chain letter that you get in the mail and it's like, okay, if you do this and this and this and this, then good things will happen to you. No, it's good news. It, it has already happened. Jesus has paid the penalty. He has paid your debt. It has happened. It has happened. We just need to embrace it. We need to rest in it. That is the gospel good news. There's not anything that we have to do. We just have to confess that I'm not Lord. I don't have everything figured out. I seem to trust that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient. There's a, there's a passage in John. Um, I want to I read this. This is, this is awesome here. I love this. <clears throat> but there's, 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 there's uh, the, the part where, uh, where, where Jesus is talking, and he's telling the people that I'm the bread of life, and he has this conversation with them. And, uh, and it's in verse 28. Uh, they, they come to him, and they said, they said to him, what must... I'll give you guys, if you want to turn there, go ahead. I'll give you time. I don't want to rush it here. All right, we good? Everybody good? All right. And John 6, 28, he's having this conversation. And he's told him, he says, listen, I am the bread of life. And uh, they, they, they said to him, they said, what must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Like Jesus didn't say, well, do this, this, and this, and this. Jesus said, believe in me, trust in me, rest in the gospel. It's not about you doing anything. It's about you placing your trust in what Jesus did for you. It's about allowing the gospel message to take root in your life. It's about allowing the gospel to penetrate your heart. And resting in that. See, putting our faith in Jesus is not about trying harder. It means transferring our trust away from ourselves and resting in Him. It means asking, Father, accept me, not because of what I have done or even or ever will do, but because of what Jesus has done in my place. See, Jesus has redeemed us. He has saved us. He has restored the peace. Not by anything that we've done. Even after we give our life to Jesus, it's not like we have to work to try to make God love us more. We just have to believe in this message, rest in the gospel, and when you do that, it's going to transform your life. It's going to change you from the inside out. And then your motivations to serve that God are not going to be twisted, and they're not going to be about trying to earn acceptance, but it's going to be out of an overflow of love that God has for you. That's the gospel good news. Does that make sense? You guys tracking? All right? And my prayer for this church is that it would look a lot like that first Christmas. That this would be a place for all people. Where all people could come and see Jesus. Where there's not one person more important than the other. That we would see that there is no one that is, that is too low or too insignificant or too unimportant or too powerless or too forgotten to anything for God to love them. You have been invited no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you look, no matter where you're from, Jesus came for you. And so, I bring you good news of great joy. 
that will be for all the people. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Amen? All right. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us through taking what is called the Lord's Supper. Every single week we do this. We pass out a tray of bread first, and then the juice follows. And the bread represents Jesus' body that was broken on the cross for you and for me. And that juice represents the blood that Jesus shed that covers over our sins. And so this morning as the guys get ready to come forward and pass out the trays, I just want to encourage you to think about what Christ has done, to think about the peace that he has restored, to worship him in that, to celebrate that, and to rest in the gospel and that good news. And after we do that, the band's going to be here, we're going to sing another song or two. And then we're going to take up our offering. And at the end of the service, I'm going to be over here. And man, if you need to just have prayer, I'd love to to pray with you. If you're going through a situation right now and you're struggling, and you just need prayer, I want to pray with you. I want you to know that, that, that Jesus knows what you're going through. He wants to carry that burden for you. Or, or maybe you just need to, uh, to place your trust and faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. And, man, if you need to come forward and do that, we, we can do that as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to take communion. You guys good? You ready? All right. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this good news that is for all people. God, no matter what we've done or where we come from or what we look like, God, that you love us and that Jesus came for everybody. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made and the love that he showed us. I pray now as we come to this part of our service that we would just remember that that we would celebrate that, and then we would allow this message to just penetrate our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.